0: To Mouse in search of Walt Disney's mythical America. Introduction Walt Disney created America. There will, of course, be those that would regard this sentence as inaccurate, pointing to the contribution of obscure figures such as Leif Erikson, Amerigo Vespucci, or Christopher Columbus. And I am willing to accept that the shadow of each of these and a host of other figures have flickered in the candlelight of American history and been long recognised for it by festivals, historians, and schoolchildren alike. I am, however, sticking to my guns on the aforementioned statement that, for me, Walt Disney created America. Now, I feel it's probably only right and proper that I qualify this assertion with one or two caveats. I am not, of course, suggesting that he got there first. Any half-witted student of history, even a 40-something English half-witted history graduate like myself, knows that our boy Columbus didn't much of the actual discovering in 1492. Well, that is, as long as you're happy to overlook the fact that the closest he actually got to America was probably what we now know as the Bahamas, and that there were, of course, a group of people called Native Americans who were there already. So no, I'm not saying that Walt Disney discovered America... As you can also see, if you cast your eyes back a line or two, it's true that I speak as someone who is not even technically an American. So what the hell has it got to do with me, who created the place anyway? It may be fair to say that the relationship between my own nation and America was always a little dysfunctional, and ended in a messy breakup in July of 1776, and on that score I will concede that you definitely got the better end of the divorce settlement. Our position as children of this particular broken home might go some way towards explaining your passion for the quaintness of little old England and my total weakness for Americana. And it's this weakness that begins to explain why I believe that Walter Elias Disney created the place that I have always rather hoped I might one day call home. It began when a small, slightly weedy boy with a bad haircut, who shall henceforth be known as me, strolled into the little room that constituted a school library in St Mary's Primary School in Putney, South West London, sometime in the mid-1970s. Not at this stage a prolific, or probably even proficient, reader, my eye wandered directly to the shelf full of oversized picture books, and all at once it was taken with the spine of a slim blue volume, adorned with a rather fetching array of red and white stripes, and just the hint of a star. My typically British reserve makes me bristle at overwrought professions of road to Damascus moments that changed my life, but suffice to say that in this instance, the fact that I was an average to poor reader and had a magpie like ability to be easily distracted by bright colours certainly had a lasting effect on mine. Truth be told, I don't really remember too much about the book in question, save to say that it was full from cover to cover with pictures that explain the existence of an exotic promised land called America. I vividly recall taking the book home and sitting for hours, flicking through its pages, dreaming what I was sure would be an unfulfilled dream of visiting this far off and wonderful place. There were, of course, many pictures of things that were probably in hindsight rather more mundane than they now appear in my Technicolor memories, but they were definitely two pages that managed to etch themselves into my consciousness, the subject of which have come to represent America for me ever since. The pages in question were dedicated to Walt Disney and Superman, and in many ways these two figures have become intertwined in my admittedly odd mind as a combined and enduring symbol of the spirit of America. While I have no knowledge of Walt actually wearing his underpants on the outside or donning a cape and fighting crime, he has nonetheless become something of a superhero to me. In a recent pub conversation, these seem to loom large in my personal history, a group of friends were discussing the age-old question of which figure from history they would most like to meet. Most of them agonised for an age, gradually whittling down a short list until they settled on some old queen or pop star or great author. That was until the metaphorical bottle alighted on me. I, of course, didn't require any time to think, and for their part, neither did the rest of the company give it. Because it was instantly understood that Lee would put Walt Disney and off he would go again, infusing his audience into a coma with a quote or an anecdote from Uncle Walt. Come to think of it, perhaps I could modify my earlier statements to suggest that not only did he create America, but in a sense, Walt Disney created me. It should be fairly apparent that his legacy has had some sort of lasting effect on my life, and quite possibly yours, from the fact that you're currently reading this book that I've written for a publisher that specialises in writings that stem in one way or another from Walt's world. The fact that the boy with a dodgy haircut grew up, I use that term loosely, to become a university lecturer who counts as his signature class one entitled Consumption, Simulation, Walt Disney World and America – and is, at this very moment, mulling over the possibility of launching the UK's first master's degree in Disney studies should probably help you shake any remaining doubts about my Disney geek credentials. But as all self-respecting devotees of kids' TV know, nothing convinces better than a good old-fashioned harebrained scheme. And this is where this book, or rather the journey that it chronicles, really comes into its own. If there's one activity that might rival visiting a Disney theme park as the ultimate US experience in the popular imagination, well, mine at least, it's the noble art of the great American road trip. The idea of climbing into a legendarily cavernous American automobile and driving massive distances through the myriad cultures that constitute these United States ought, in my mind, to be a qualification for citizenship. How can anyone genuinely call themselves an American unless they've witnessed the thrill of the open road and eaten apple pie in a roadside diner replete with jukebox and black and white checkered floor. Once again, I qualify this statement with the reminder that I'm actually an Englishman, and the further confession that I fail on the most basic of requirements for Americanness, in that I can't drive. While this may seem inconceivable to the average reader on your side of the pond, who hops in a car and drives approximately the length of my little island for a stack of pancakes. For someone like myself, who grew up in London and has always been able to get pretty much anywhere he wanted to go by bus, train or tube within no more than an hour, it's never really been a big deal. However, as I do have a day job and can't therefore dedicate the rest of my natural life to walking across your nation, this could prove something of a handicap in indulging in said roadside odyssey. Luckily for me, with this, as with so many other basic requirements of my existence, I am able to rely on something that we in England call a wife. For those unfamiliar with this concept, a wife is essentially the life support mechanism that is needed to ensure that the male of the species is able to continue to exist when his limited cognitive functions have become focused on the pursuit of what some may consider a ridiculous undertaking, or as we have already identified it, a harebrained scheme. My good fortune in wife selection extends in a vast array of directions, but the one that is of particular interest to this endeavour is that mine is a very good and extremely enthusiastic driver. My wife Sarah and I, along with our two children, Annabelle, 10, and Tyler, 4, have actually engaged in the art of the American road trip once before, when we spent a week touring around Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, and a couple of years ago. So, our designated driver has had some experience of steering a car that is about a third larger than our house, around on what to her is the wrong side of the road. In another stroke of fortune, she hugely enjoyed the experience. And what's more, she's almost as obsessed as I am with the twin ideals of Disney and America. See, I told you I was good at wife selection. This then leads us to the birth of the aforementioned harebrained scheme, which actually began to form, in my mind, during our little jaunt across New England. I was performing my vitally important role of managing the playlist and ensuring that the correct classic piece of popular music functioned as the accompanying soundtrack to the visuals that were passing by the car window at any particular moment. This may, to some people, seem a task of less importance than actually controlling the giant piece of hurtling metal that was acting as simultaneously as transport and life support system for our entire family but that would be to underestimate the significance of the Beatles and the Smiths. While I'm sure you appreciate the sheer levels of concentration required in ensuring the appropriate quantity of rock and roll is not too watered down by the introduction of psychedelic pop, there were moments in the journey at which my imagination began to wander. During one of these interludes, as is so often the case, my thoughts turned to Disney. Suddenly, and not unfoolishly, given that we were only a few days away from returning to Boston and onto a plane bound for home, it occurred to me that we were only about 1,300 miles from Walt Disney World. If we drove solidly for about a day, we could have a quick ride on Pirates of the Caribbean, grab a hot dog at Casey's before returning to the mundanity of London life. When I voiced this notion, Sarah performed one of the other important functions of Wifedon in requesting that I keep my good ideas to myself and thus exercise the matriarchal veto on said suggestion. I'm sure that having poured water upon my latest bonfire, my beloved wife assumed that my butterfly mind would flit directly back onto being pleased that Massachusetts by the Bee Gees had started to play just as we passed a road sign for Boston. But for once, I found myself able to think of two things at once. The synchronicity of the soundtrack simply acted as a pleasing music bed for the dawning idea that if it was possible to drive from this place to Disney World, it was possible to do so from anywhere in America. I will concede that in the history of ideas, my Eureka moment might not rival the splitting of the atom, the discovery of penicillin, or even the invention of the slinky. Indeed, it is entirely possible that to some people, the fact that you can drive To one place in America from another place in America could be considered a rather rudimentary concept. This, however, is the kind of linear thinking that I would discourage, because it overlooks both the fact that Einstein I am not, and in favour of any way to have a long vacation in the USA that involves a lot of Disney, I am. For what had occurred to me in that flash of light was not really a concept about relative navigation across America. But the idea of a mega road trip that linked both coasts via the magic of Disney. What also occurred to me was that if such a trip were going to happen it would require a huge amount of planning, something that comes fairly naturally to me, a fair amount of money, something that I don't have but which I could think about later, and perfect judgment in pitching it to my good lady who would have to do all the driving, something for which I am definitely not genetically programmed So it was that my suddenly blurting out that we could drive from Disneyland to Disney World whilst trundling down a road in New England was met with a, what now? And accompanied by a deeply suspicious wifely eye, which nonetheless set me off on an epic sales pitch, the success of which leads via a series of meandering paths to this very book. Due to the nature of my overexcited brain, once head office gave the go-ahead, A straightforward, if rather long drive from the original Disney park to its younger brother, while still a wonderful idea, was never going to be the sum total of the experience. Quick reference to a map of the United States confirms that the straightest route between these two points is about 2,500 miles, leaves California and passes through Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and Louisiana before finally pitching up in Florida, about 38 hours of driving time later. It must be noted that this short route is still approximately three times the entire length of Great Britain and a lot further than we have ever dreamed of travelling by car. Also, in much the way that meteorologists say that the weather feels hotter because of the addition of humidity, I believe there should be an equation for how much further a journey will feel when the rear seats of the car are occupied by a four-year-old who is at any given point likely to be finding new and creative ways to elicit high-pitched whining noises from his 10-year-old sister. Nevertheless, we British are an adventurous breed, and this particular one has the added advantage of a complete lack of common sense. So I, of course, interpreted the 2,500 mile road trip as merely the launching point for a more ambitious plan of campaign. Since this whole obsession had started off with that picture book about America and my specific attraction to Walt Disney and Superman, my map-studying eye was quickly drawn to the remarkable coincidence that Walt's hometown of Marceline, Missouri was less than 400 miles away – see, I'm thinking like an American already – from Superman's adopted neighbourhood of Metropolis, Illinois. Once this astonishing fact had been established in my mind, there was really no way we could possibly make the trip without including these twin landmarks in our itinerary. Never mind that in order to do so, our little road trip had just increased by another 500 miles. With this mindset, it also seemed fairly apparent that if we were venturing as far north as Marceline, we might as well drop in on the site of Walt's original Laugh-O-Gram studio in Kansas City. And while we're at it, if we really wanted to get the flavour of a real Americana, it would be nice to visit an old-fashioned state fair. As luck would have it, our planned travel dates seemed to intersect with the one in Des Moines, Iowa, and this had the triple advantage of firstly, being only about 400 miles out of our way, secondly, being a place that could provide us with the spectacle of a butter cow, my parochial British mind was already boggling, and thirdly, being the hometown of my own travel writing hero, Bill Bryson. When I put it like that, how could my poor, long-suffering, car-piloting wife possibly resist? Thus it was, that little by little, new must-visit places, must-taste foods, and must-experience attractions, sights, and downright oddities across America began to demand pins in the map, until the total mileage pushed up well beyond three and a half thousand miles, and the driving time had gazed longingly back at the 50-hour mark in the rearview mirror. Thus also was the idea of a book about this mammoth undertaking born. Once the notion of a book had begun to take hold of my imagination, the catchy title of Mouse to Mouse sprang quickly into my mind. What took a little longer, however, was the descriptive bit that follows the colon. As, beyond the bounds of my own obsession with America, I wasn't really sure how to summarise the themes that were emerging from the map. After much blank gazing into space, a common experience in my life the point that I made a few thousand words ago about Walt Disney Created America started to dawn on me. What I really mean, of course, is that the America that I grew up dreaming of, and after visiting Walt Disney World at the age of 11, longing for, was the version that called to me from Main Street USA, Frontierland and Liberty Square, the one that I had glimpsed in holiday specials from Disneyland and in the pages of that book and a thousand others. The America of Walt Disney's 1950s of diners and drive-ins, of Superman and Elvis, and of state fairs and quirky roadside attractions. The question then that filled my mind was whether this America still, or even ever, existed. And it's this question that will fill the vacant space behind the colon. Mouse to mouse, in search of Walt Disney's mythical America, let the quest begin.